Hello and welcome to Footy Time. How are we all doing? I'm your host Johnny Raff and we have just had yet another great round of AFL footy. Some huge results that have impacted the ladder, some teams' seasons being potentially resurrected from the dead, and a musical chairs game in the top eight that keeps going and going and going. And it will continue to keep going until that last game in round 23. We've had a few newcomers to the show lately, and to these people, you're probably still getting a feel for the show and wondering what separates this one from the others. Look, that's the truth is that there's a lot of great podcasts out there, and you, know, you the average podcast listener, you're staring there at your app that you listen to your podcasts on, you've probably got a lot of good options staring back at you, and you're wondering, well... What's this guy got to offer? What is What separates this guy from the rest? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of great options out there, and I'm not looking to be separated from the rest. Uh, there's never been a better time for the world of footy podcasts. We've got so many brilliant options to choose from, and I can assure you that it's only going to get better. Uh, I've got about four that I listen to regularly at the moment, so there's something for everyone, and we really are sport for choice. So when you came across Footy Time, you were probably thinking, should I check it out? Should I devote the 30 or 40 minutes to listening to something that might not even be that good? Why should I listen to this guy? What makes his knowledge worth more than just the regular Joe Footy fan? Well, I'll lay it all out for you. Allow me to tell you a little bit about myself. As you heard in the opening, my name is Johnny Raff. I'm not a player. I'm not a coach. I'm not a journalist. I'm not any sort of media pundit. I'm not a statistician. I've never actually played the game at AFL, Sandful, Waffle, VFL, or AMO's level. As a matter of fact, I haven't played the game since I was in my year 11 seconds team at school. I was actually a soccer player for most of my adult life, to be honest. Yeah, not, good, not sounding great so far, is it? So what exactly am I, and what do I offer? Well, I've been a footy fan since as early as I can remember. I've been a member of the Melbourne Football Club for nearly 30 consecutive years. It sounds glamorous now, but the majority of this time included going to the MCG week in, week out to see this team get belted by record margins in the cold and wet winters, missed the finals for 11 consecutive years at one point, collect three wooden spoons, about 10 bottom four finishes, get involved in a tanking saga, nearly merge, continue to pay my membership during two COVID-ridden years before finally tasting the ultimate success and worth waiting for kind of success. So I understand perfectly well both your passion for your footy club and what it means to you and the struggles that you go through and wanting to see them come through for your ultimate success. At the end of the day, I might have a love-hate relationship with other clubs, but the one thing I'm more passionate about in this game is the fans and the people who love this game and their club just as much as I do with mine. They pay their membership every year, no matter what. They go to the games week in, week out. Most of the time when you hear me potting a team's performance each week on this show, I'm not doing it because I hate the club or have anything against them. I do it because I respect passionate footy fans such as yourselves, and I'm putting myself in your shoes. I think that a club owes 100% of what they have on game day to the people that pay their memberships or pay the to get their tickets and come to the ground each week. And if they are poor on a given day, or they look like they haven't given their best, I take them to task because their members deserve better. So, yeah, on top of all that, 
in my 30-ish years of watching the game, I have watched a lot of football. <laughs> uh, I know a lot about how games of footy go when it comes to momentum, comebacks, trends, body language. If there's one thing I know how to do, it's watch AFL football. Everyone watches the game in their own way, but I could probably write a book on how I watch the game and uh, you know the things to look out for, things that I've seen happen a lot, things that I haven't seen as common. Uh, and trends to look out for. So, yeah, if you want to hear from just a good old-fashioned armchair fan, a guy that really has no expertise in the coach's box, but would be the Boomer Harvey of watching football, then I'm your person. So, sit back and uh, enjoy. Not enjoy. Love, hate, whatever. But hopefully you get something out of it. We're going to bring back one of our old favourite segments called Blinders and Shockers. And this week's blinder, the Kangas finally do it. Yeah, we couldn't really start off the show with anything else, to be honest. Lee Adams was the interim hero as the Kangaroos snapped a 14-game losing streak. What a win for the shin bonus. A real feel-good moment for a club that has just been whacked from pillar to post. You do have to feel for David Noble a bit here, I think. I can't imagine what it would have been like, really. I mean, it, I can't imagine it would have been nice for him watching on at home after all the work he's put in over the last two years. But it was so great to see a club with 22 guys who front up week in, week out to training, to game day, and go out there and get a much-deserved win, get to sing their song. I don't think anyone truly into the sport of AFL footy likes to see the cellar dwelling clubs or cellar dwelling clubs for that moment not always usually as you can see they go up and down the ladder thanks to our systems that we have in place but um no one wants to see a team down on their luck going and on losing we like to see a team like this break through and show that even if the light at the end of the tunnel is very faint there is indeed light at the end of that tunnel well, there is a new out-of-contract forward in town. His name, Cam Zuha. A career-high six goals, which included that game-winning snap. Zuha looked hungry. He looked like that guy that could turn half chances into goals, and North fans would probably be a bit frustrated as they may have thought that they'd be getting this all season from him, but sometimes it takes a bit more time. There's going to be questions about a lot of Ruse players and their future at the end of this season, but this guy showed that he is a critical part of their forward setup going into the future. Jai Simkin was another who really impressed. 34 possessions, 9 clearances, 6 tackles, and a goal. I haven't watched a lot of North games in full this year. Usually when I catch North, it's just the extended highlights of their games. This is probably the, the third game I've actually watched in full. Uh, so yeah, you don't. I don't always get to see uh, a lot of what these players are doing all game in terms of their overall output. Uh, but Jai Simkin does strike me as another youngster who North fans may have expected to be a little bit further ahead in his development at this stage. Uh, but this is a fantastic performance, and if he can bring this week in, week out, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, room for improvement for the team as a whole. There is one man here who is leading the way, though, 
And when the topic of future North captain comes around, then I would want to see Luke Davis Uniac's name right at the front of the queue. His last quarter was really what got North over the line in the end. Ten disposals, two clearances, which were crucial. That's what leadership's all about. Uh, he helped so much in the game against Collingwood last week to, to almost get them over the line. But this week, he dug in again, and that was a massive, massive reason why they ended up winning it. So good on you, North. It's over. It's always good to snap a losing streak like that. And who knows, maybe they can snaffle another win before the end of the season. Just give them something to go into the preseason for 2023. Bit of confidence as they look to the other moves that they might make. Our shocker of the week is obviously the team they were playing. Richmond. They threw the game away. I don't want to talk too much about Richmond in this game because I don't. I wanted to make this segment more about North, but we can't ignore it. The Tigers threw the game away. 11 goals, 22, ain't going to get it done in most games. Noah Cumberland, 3 goals, 4. Club legend Jack Rewalt sprayed his way to 2 goals, 6. Ouch. And despite all of this, they still had a chance to pinch this game when Jake Arts took a great mark, about 40 metres out with no real angle, and played on. He then got pressured into skewing his kick, and the golden chance to win suddenly became a half chance, and then snuffed out with a rush behind on the goal line right at the end. Game over. I won't go too harsh on Arts, he's just a kid. I can see why players sometimes take the knee-jerk reaction and play on to kick the goal, because some people don't relish the moment of the set shot. You know, with the 30-second countdown clock and more and more time to think about what you need to do. But unfortunately, I think there would have been less embarrassment if he had just taken the set shot and missed. Because this was just clanger material for the highlight reels and they really sort of zoomed in on his face afterward. It was in full view on the camera, looking just mortified at what he'd done. He would have known instantly what he'd done, by the way, and the ramifications. So he doesn't need everyone in his face asking him why he did it and what he was thinking. He knows exactly what happened and he knows exactly what he's not going to do again. He'll learn from it. I, I wanted to talk a bit about Richmond's list at the moment. Um, I still think there's quite a bit to like about the, about the Tigers list. I was chatting to a big Richmond fan the other day about where this team currently sits. Exactly. It is very hard to get a read on Richmond still. I don't even know if we're any closer to getting a read on them than we were at the start of the season. People feel like there's a big drop-off coming, but I feel like they've got some really good key posts and key positions set up for the future. Whether that's enough for another tilt at a flag anytime soon remains to be seen. But there are some promising youngsters coming through in a setup that is proven to produce good talent. But no doubt about it. Look, there are some issues there. And there are some glaring issues there. I mean, one thing I notice when I'm watching Richmond and their midfield is being challenged in a game, it feels like Dion Prestia is the only one in there who's really doing his best to match the opposition's work rate at that time. Uh, Jaden Short's another one, but he can get sat on a bit with a tagger. Um, but I do sometimes feel like they're a true engine midfielder short at the contest. Um, 
especially with Kane Lambert having his issues and guys like Cochin and Edwards not getting any younger. When the chips are down, it can be hard for the Tigers to wrestle momentum back in a game with that hard gut running and just the, yeah, the two-way running. It will be interesting to see how they play their trade period and draft, but I don't think they're going to be as far off as something. They're just a couple of players short, I think, of being a true contender again. Um, this is one of those situations where they won't need a full renovation, but maybe just a nice redecorating. <laughs> but I do feel for the Tigers fans, that's a rough couple of weeks. You'd be feeling pretty down in the dumps as those are two very hard ways to lose, especially when you're fighting for finals and top four. A lot of knockers will be out now saying that the Tigers can't get it done when it matters and that they're not good in the clutch, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. You've still got a chance. They've still got a chance to really solidify their place in the eight. They still technically have a chance to make top four, but uh, yeah, you'd want to see a, a win uh, and... You'd want to see it now, pretty much. If Chad Warner isn't one of the elite mids in the game right now, then it is a matter of time before he is. 35 touches with 12 of them in that pivotal third quarter in the clash against Frio at Optus Stadium. Oh, He's cream rising to the top. For most of this game, he seemed to be locked in a duel with other star 2022 midfielder Andrew Brayshaw. And it looked like Warner struck the balance perfectly of doing his best to get his own ball, but also stifle the performance of an, you know, a Brownlee middle favourite as well. He was lining up to next to Brayshaw pretty much at every stoppage, and Brayshaw ended up having 20 possessions, his lowest tally for the entire season. This is a part of the game that doesn't get looked at nearly enough, in my view. And when people do their votes, whether it's Brownlow, whether it's, I don't know, whatever, newspaper awards, whatever, um, it seems like the things to look at in the stat sheet are the position count, disposal efficiency, meters gained, and scoring. We don't tend to look at the defensive side of a player's game nearly enough, in my view. And it would be great to find a way to do that. It is a lot easier to do if you have someone who, I guess, is a known tagger. You know, he sacrifices his game to stop someone else getting the ball. And they might do a great job on someone. But then they take that game to the next level by getting a lot of the ball from themselves. That's not exactly what I'm talking about here uh, in terms of the job that Chad Warner did. What Chad Warner did was more of a minding his opponent at the stoppage, but then afterwards going to sort of, in general play, get, getting, you know, trying to win his own ball. It wasn't a case of um, shadowing someone, being a run-with player all game. And that's kind of what's happening at the moment in this in this game, and it's working to full effect. We're seeing a lot of players who are quite effective players themselves doing what they do, but also in, when it's time for the stoppages, just being aware of what the most damaging player on the other side is doing. Where are they lining up? Where's the awareness of, of where they are? And um, just not 
allow, just getting an arm across them, as they used to say, just getting an arm across them, not allowing them a clear run at the ball, you know, stifling their runs. We're starting to see this a bit. We saw Jai Caldwell do it against the Lions last week for Essendon. He played a magnificent game on Lockie Neal, probably Lockie Neal's quietest game for the year. But Caldwell got a lot of the ball himself, and it was probably his best game for the club. We saw Callum Mills do a similar job on Paddy Dangerfield. We saw uh, very early in the season, but I think it was Andrew McGrath on Christopher Matraka. Uh, these guys are actually quite good ball users themselves, but it's almost like they've just decided to focus 20 or 30% of their time into the opposition's best player, and it's worked a treat in a lot of these games. Uh it's it's going to be hard to quantify that kind of performance. I mean, but we've got to find some kind of way to to do it and give these kinds of performances recognition because it's much more of an all round game uh, that this player's played. I definitely had Chad Warner best on ground because of this game that he played. I don't think he had the most possessions, but he was just fantastic in the way he went about it in a multifaceted approach to the game. I, I, like I said, I don't know how we would measure this easily, but I'm very keen to hear your suggestions. 40time22 at gmail.com. The secret source of the AFL comes down to one thing. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, because it's probably one of the most used words on this show. But it's got something to do with the thing that you do without the ball that forces opposition into mistakes and turnovers. Yes, yes, that is exactly what we're talking about. The Cats bring pressure. They were clearly the better team on the night against Carlton on Saturday, who didn't exactly shame themselves, and I do feel like they've shown me enough this year to suggest that this is A, a finals team, and that this game was B, a finals atmosphere. But the Cats suffocated the Blues much the way they did the Ds the week before. They did not allow any easy run out of the back line. They had an excellent system and structure across the ground. And yes, they brought a lot of pressure. Don't even bother looking at the main stats for this one. They won't tell the story. Carlton won the possessions count. They were plus 7 in contested ball and plus 3 in clearances. But check this one out. Six of the top seven Pressure Act players in the game were Cats. And this is the difference between the 2021 Cats and the 2022 Cats. The focus is very much on a group who brings pressure, 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 and more pressure. I'm talking about guys like Atkins, Close, Myers, uh, even Blitzhouse even brings a lot of pressure at the moment. It was a brilliant defensive performance as well. And Sam DeConing was a massive part of that. This kid is a bona fide star in the making. It gobsmacks me that he's played 16 games. He looks much more like a 50 or 60 gamer right now. He blanketed Harry Mackay for his first goalless game this season. Also, a mention for Jack Henry, who went back and helped him out. I think Henry has to be one of the best swingmen in the comp right now. Uh... Cameron, Duncan, Selwood, all with decent games. The Cats just have the balance and mix right at the moment. They've got their side spot on, and they are firming as the team to beat in September. 
while we're on the subject of stats, here's a stat that you're not going to hear from any of your friends at the water cooler today or in your Zoom meeting. Rory Laird broke the record for tackles in a game. Now, this is only counting the champion data era, which dates back to 1999, but the previous record of 19 tackles in a game held by Jude Bolton fell in the Adelaide versus Collingwood game on Saturday. Rory Laird broke that record with 20 tackles. Good on you, Rory. Fantastic. Just wish more people talked about it. I was going to do a segment here called the heavyweight title bite for the recruit of the year championship. (laughs) Uh, But I kind of ran out of time on this. Look, it's pretty obvious that there's two guys in the running for this recruit of the year. And what we're talking about here is not players from the draft. We're talking about recycled players from other clubs. There's two players in the running for this. Will Brody at Fremantle and Tyson Stengel at Geelong. I don't have a lot on this, but let's just quickly go through some key facts and maybe we'll quickly look up some stats on both. Will Brody, at this time last year, had played three games for the season for the Gold Coast Suns. He is now arguably one of their most important midfielders and a big reason why Frio is in the running for a flag. On the other side of the coin, we have Tyson Stingle, who missed the entire 2021 season and in 2020 managed 12 games for the season for the Crows. Let's just take a very quick look at the statistics here. We'll look at the stats that maybe, I guess, encapsulate both players' performance this year, because they are both different players and play different positions. But Will Brody's averaging 27.7 possessions a game, which is above the league average. He's got 12.4 possessions a game. Sorry, 12.4 contestant possessions a game, also above the average. And he also averages six clearances a game, above the average. 5.8 score involvements, above the average. And yeah, that is just a very, very impressive body of work. Uh, He also has 73% disposal efficiency, which is average, and 3.9 inside 50s a game, which is above average. He is elite when it comes to handballs, and yeah, just one of those guys that ticks along. I mean, effective disposals, he's in the elite category, and I just think that he's been an, an absolute sensation and a huge reason why the Dockers are doing so well. But let's have a look at Tyson Stengel. Tyson Stengel is a small forward, and he's been very, very good, as we know. But he averages nearly two goals a game. That is the elite category. He averages 14.4 disposals a game, which is above average. Now, I don't know if these are weighted towards the position that they play, because 14.4 disposals... I don't know, maybe that, maybe that is the league average. I don't know. Uh, it just seems a bit low. Uh, Mark's inside 50. He gets about one a game, and his goal accuracy is 50%, which is average, but, you know, he gets a lot of goal chances and uh, has plenty of looks at goal, which is great. Uh, he is also in the elite category for inside 50s. He averages nearly four inside 50s a game. That's pretty damn good. And... 
he has 33 goals for the season. I'm actually not going to make a choice here on who I think is a better recruit of the year because they've both been fantastic. I think maybe if I was leaning to one, uh, I don't know. I just feel like, I just think the engine room's where it's all happening at the moment, and that's what really gets teams up and going. Uh, Stengel plays in a very, very good forward line, although he, the argument can be made that he has helped that forward line become very good. But I don't know. If I had to choose, I still would probably just lean towards Will Brody. I don't know. I'm really not sure. That's it's splitting hairs. So, but I'm very interested to hear what everyone else thinks. So, 40time22 at gmail.com. We'll do a bit of a poll. Who is the recruit of the year? Is it Will Brody or is it Tyson Stingle? Look forward to hearing from you. Is the word often pronounced often or often? O-F-T-E-N. Well, this is something that I've realized that I say a lot on the show and it has been pointed out that I do say often, uh, and that the T is meant to be silent. Now, I'm a very big stickler for the correct usage of the English language. Uh, by the way, you can be one of those people and still make mistakes yourself. But I am a, I'm someone that does pay attention to this stuff. I don't like a lot of um, misuses of words. Like, uh, I hear a lot of people say, instead of any way, they say in a way, or... or um, Instead of anything, they say anything. Or this one was one of my favourites when the word all, A-double-L, all of a sudden became plural. So they might have just been saying something like, all's I said was this, all's I said was that. It absolutely drove me crazy. But anyway, with the, when it came to the word often, often, whatever you want to say, this is something that I always thought that, other people had wrong. I actually thought often was a very lazy way of saying the word. But over time, I'm starting to hear that a lot of people who I respect their opinion and they've got very, very good English skills are starting to say that that isn't meant to be a silent T. And they do make a good point because um, the word soften, you don't say soften. So that might they might be onto something. I uh, was actually taught this by an English teacher from a young age, I'm not going to name their name, but uh, you know, they're very close to my family, and they told me that the correct use of this word was often, and that people were lazy, and that the T needed to be pronounced. So ever since that day, I've been saying often. So I don't know. I'd like to hear anyone's thoughts on this, and yeah, that's pretty much all I've got to say about that. I might try both out for the next few weeks and see how it goes. It is time for everyone's favourite segment right now. Top 4 and Top 8 Watch. The team in focus this week is the Sydney Swans. After a huge win over the Dockers at Optus Stadium, the Swans are sitting 6th on the ladder, with percentage dividing them and Carlton. The question is, can the Swans make the top 4? Their run home is the Crows at the SCG next week, the Giants at the SCG the week after, 
North Melbourne at Marvel, Collingwood at the SCG, and then finishing with St Kilda at Marvel. This, as of right now, is the easiest run home in the competition compared to other teams fighting for top four and top eight spots, but it's actually the easiest in the competition in general. You would pencil them in for at least three wins out of these games. Four is very possible, and all five is definitely not beyond the realms of possibility. With that being said, are we sleeping on a real top four threat from Sydney? No one is really saying it. And had they got that win over Essendon a few weeks ago, this would be a real chance. We'll be keeping an eye on the Swans, but they could finish as high as third, in my opinion. If they go on a bit of a run, I can see them not really letting up. Love the way the Swans go about it. Uh, I think, yeah, you never know. They might sneak in, but they have definitely got themselves a home final, I would say, at very least, in the elimination stages. We'll take a quick look at the Bulldogs, who could be the same... Well, the same deal as Sydney, really, as a team that we might be sleeping on, but outside the eight at the moment. They found some form against the Saints on Friday night, and could be a chance to still make this, this final eight. There is one difference here. Their run home. It has Melbourne at Marvel, Geelong at GMHBA, and then Frio at Marvel, before easing a little with GWS at Marvel, and then Hawthorne and Tassie. That <laughs> sounds a little bit like a weather report. Um, but the Dogs will seriously need to take a scalp in one of their next three games to have any chance of playing finals this year. It's by no means easy, but it's not a long shot either. I mean, this is, this is a good side. Yeah, they've got a couple of deficiencies, but if they run into some form, they could knock off one of these next three teams. I can see it happening. And three wins, I don't know if... I haven't done a ladder predictor, but is that enough to make the eight for the Dogs? I don't know. I don't know. But this is one to be wary of, I would say. We are just about out of time, but... There have been some Bombers fans who really, really want me to mention their brilliant win yesterday over the Suns, but not just mention the win. They want to talk about that amazing goal from Sam Draper uh, in the fourth quarter, I believe it was. That was fantastic, and I think this could be goal of the year. Uh, I just, yeah, look. I know, I think Shai Bolton was in the running for that. And look, we've seen a lot of great snaps from the pocket. I don't know, I just think this was awesome. Just seeing a guy like Draper, uh, he's a 200-centimeter-plus ruckman, have the mobility to be running from the center-bounce ruck contest with the ball, sprinting into the forward line. He passes it to uh, Matt Guelphie, who quickly handballs it back. And then he comes in to break a tackle and then kick this, I guess, audacious banana on the run from 20 metres out. And that just sent the Essendon fans into absolute ecstasy, really. It was magic. That was absolute magic. I honestly want to say, just give this the goal of the year. We don't see stuff like this a lot. Give it to this. 
yeah. He, and he is one of the most promising talents in the competition. I can see Sam Draper definitely being the best ruckman in the competition in a few years. Oh, yeah. I think he's, you know, he's got it all. He's got agility. He's got strength. He's got, uh, you know, he's got a huge frame. He's 203 centimeters, I think. And, yeah, I just think that he is, he has all the tools to really take this competition apart. And, you know, there's a little bit of Max Gorn in him. I think there's a tiny bit of Nick Natanui in him as well. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. He's 23 years old. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. But, yeah, that is the end of footy time for this week. Round 18 done. We've got round 19 coming up. There's a few pretty damn good games this round, as there always is. Uh, let's take a real quick look at them and just see what the what the ones to watch are. We've got Richmond and Freo on Friday night at the MCG. Uh, that's a huge game. It's a huge game. I mean, if the Tigers can knock the Dockers off, then they're back in business. But the Dockers need to win at the home of football, I reckon to stamp their authority and really show that they can be back there to win it all, I guess. Uh, we've got North versus Hawthorne, Blundstone Arena in Tassie. We've got Sydney versus Adelaide. Port versus Geelong could be an interesting one, but you'd favour the Cats in that, I'd say. Brisbane versus the Suns, a cute clash. Uh, the Suns were so disappointing in that game against Essendon. They showed that they really just aren't... They're just not there yet. We all wanted them to be there, and we all want them to, you know, step up and make the finals but they're just not quite ready again i don't know look this is a big one again if they can get something happening here who knows but i'd be fancying the lines we've got the bulldogs versus melbourne on saturday night at marvel that's a danger game for melbourne and honestly it's a at the rematch of the grand final melbourne won in round one obviously but i can see the bulldogs giving the d's a lot of problems on that deck at marvel uh we'll see there we go but yeah that's that's going to be a belter, I reckon. Carlton and the Giants on Sunday. Oh, you fancy the Blues there. We've got the big Collingwood and Essendon rematch at the MCG. And then West Coast versus St Kilda at Optus Stadium in the 4.40pm Sunday game. Yeah, so plenty of interesting games. Hopefully your team can win. And yeah, stay tuned for more footy time next week. Bye for now.